the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back. Time flies over the 11th hour. I am very pleased and um, excited to have our guest, Michael Gareth Johnson. And Michael Johnson is the Communications Director of the Community Housing Improvement Program. He has successfully crafted media campaigns to educate elected officials and the public on the problems facing rent-stabilized housing in New York City. Um, Michael, we're thrilled to have you on. That's been like uh, in all the papers recently. Uh, tell us a little bit how you got involved with this and it, what's going on now, because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of news about it, and I'm not exactly sure what it all means. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm excited to be here, Dottie. Um, you know, the Community Housing Improvement Program has been around since the 1960s. Uh, mostly been advocating for um, compliance and helping owners comply with rent stabilization um, regulations. Um, we have about 400,000 members, and um, you know, what we've been trying to do in the last couple of years is really educate elected officials and, and the public on some of the some of the stresses that are the current the current regulations are putting on rent stabilized buildings. Um, you know, there's a, it's been a long time since rent stabilized properties have been in as much distress as they are in right now. And it's kind of a confluence of events. Um, the, the regulations changed in 2019, the passage of those laws made it, um, harder to invest into buildings. Um, but coupled with that was the pandemic, which obviously we saw massive rent arrears. And then, um, in the response to the pandemic, we saw inflation rise, and we also saw interest rates rise. And the rise of interest rates is kind of like the last straw that really has made it very hard for rent-stabilized buildings to uh, find access to capital so that they can do maintenance and improvements. Um, and all of this stuff coming together has really created a situation where uh, for, for most of the rent-stabilized stock, which is in the outer boroughs and 100% rent-stabilized buildings or close to 100% rent-stabilized buildings, um, you know, the rents are very, very low in those buildings, and the rents aren't really sustaining the operating costs anymore. Um, so could we're you, seeing this. Uh, yep, go ahead. Could I just cut in and, and ask you to explain to the audience if some, if some people might not know what a rent-stabilized apartment is? Sure. So, so uh, in New York City, since 1974, there's been rent stabilization in place, which basically means every building built before 1974 is subject to rent stabilization. Um, that means that the rent increases each year for tenants are determined by the rent guidelines board, which is uh, um, it's uh, nine members that are appointed by the mayor. 
Um, two of them represent property owners, two of them represent tenants, the other five are public members. So they come together every year and decide what the rent increases will be for all of these apartments. And it's about, you know, between 900,000 to a million apartments in New York City that are under rent stabilization. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, aren't uh, the, the owners of the building having a hard time making any money? Like, aren't they really in a bad shape? Yeah, so I mean, I, the, the the best way to think about it is this, right? The the majority of rent stabilized building or apartments were in buildings that were built before 1974. That's like about you know 700,000 of the the units. Um, there's newer buildings that are in rent stabilization because they agreed to go into it. This is the the buildings that got 421A tax credits, right. um, things like that. The rents in those buildings are much higher because they were set at the market when they were completed. The rents in the the buildings that were, um, you know. Pre seventy four, you know, the, out, when you once you get outside the core of Manhattan, where there's been some deregulation that's allowed over the years, and the rents are a little bit high in those buildings. Um, but once you get outside the core of Manhattan, the rents are about twelve hundred dollars on average for apartments, um, and the operating costs, as calculated by the Rent Guidelines Board, are close to a two course to a thousand dollars a month. So there's very little margin there. Um, you know, you basically because the rents have not kept up with operating costs. Uh, it's very hard for you to kind of run a building, especially if you have a mortgage, which most buildings do, um, right. you know, and other other costs that pop up. And, and in addition to that, you have a lot of um, kind of man- mandated upgrades that have been implemented over the years by the city council and the state legislature. Um, the most expensive being kind of these measures to make buildings more energy efficient. So, so that, con- you- yeah, that, conf- that confluence of events is why... You know, many many building owners, especially in the outer boroughs, are struggling to kind of keep up. Right. So, what what you are what are you fighting for now? Uh, the, so we, we yeah, we've been advocating for several things over the years. Our our main our main our our main our main fight, especially with the state legislature, has been to kind of educate them on a specific provision of the 2019 laws where. Um, they, they basically they implemented vacancy control on these apartments. So if someone lived in an apartment for 30 or 40 years and the rent is below $1,000 and they move out of that apartment, um, you can't raise the rent on the apartment. But that apartment needs significant upgrades and renovations. Um, you, you literally, in, in most of these cases, you cannot rent that apartment out when the tenant moves out without spending you know, $50,000 or more on an upgrade. Right. Yeah. And the biggest the biggest expense is is lead remediation. So New York City has the has the strictest lead laws in the country. And I think we would all agree that getting lead out of apartments is very, very important. Um, But you can't do this that in with in these um, mostly pre-war buildings. You can't do it without um, spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to have crews come in and remediate the lead. Um, And then typically when you do that, you also have to, to basically you know, redo the floors, redo the roofs, redo the walls. And, and at that point, you're, you're doing a gut renovation of the apartment, and you're looking at, you know, closer to $100,000. Now, let me ask you, because I know, you know, I have my sister is fortunate enough to have a red-stabilized apartment, and uh, I believe that the uh, the building went condo, uh, but we, we fought for her to be able to stay in there. So she's still there, but she can't really improve the apartment but when she moves out, what what they can't really raise it that much, can they? I mean, and so if they can't raise the rent, they're not going to be able to improve it. So they, 
how, how does the owner improve it? Yeah, I mean, and this is this is the biggest issue we're running into because, um, you know, you have no access to capital because, it, you know, if you go to a bank and say, I want a loan to fix up this apartment, they're going to say, well, you're never going to make any of the money back that you're going to invest in this apartment. So you either have to have enough capital saved to do that, um, but in that situation, you would still be losing money, um, especially when the rents are below $1,000 because they're already below operating costs, uh, generally speaking, for, for the average apartment. So you would you would be investing this money into an apartment where you would still then be losing money for months going forward. Um, and this provision, you know, we've, we've worked with lawmakers to try to craft a bill that would specifically address this, um, give owners an ability to kind of petition the government to fix up units that fall into this um, this kind of bucket where, you know, they, they need these renovations because the tenants have lived there for so long. Um, and so we've, we've continued to, to educate the lawmakers on that and work with them. Um, they've been receptive to trying to find a solution. Um, we speak, you know, a lot with the state Senate and with the state assembly. Um, and, and I think, you know, coming into next session, we're hopeful that they will be able to find some way for us to get a lot of these apartments back online. You know, we estimate it's, it's, close to 20,000 apartments that fall into this bucket where, you know, they need these significant renovations in order to get back on the market, but the rents are just too low for the owners to secure financing. Right. Now, I think I might have read, and I don't know, I think I read something that there's a lot of apartments that really are are vacant, that are rent-stabilized. What if the owner doesn't have the money to fix it up? So that's that's part of the question as well, right? So, you know, if, if... there's really only a couple ways to solve this problem. The, the government could step in and give owners the money to fix the units up in order to basically subsidize the, that unit getting back onto the market uh, and keeping the rents really low. Um, but we estimate that would be a significant cost. Um, the other alternative is to allow owners to raise the rents to you know, a reasonable level so that they can uh, secure the financing to fix up the unit. Um, and you know, we've, we've worked with the mayor's office as well to see if there's some kind of possibility of having a pilot program that that could kind of you know do both things just not not fully um you know we've always said that we don't need the government's money uh private owners the private rent stabilized owners that we represent we've said that we don't need the government's money to fix these units up we just need to be able to set the rent at a a rate that we can secure financing to do this um but you know this is a conversation with the elected officials um the idea is to try to get to a solution because there's a solution that will work for um, property owners, and I think for elected officials, uh, we just have to go through the process. Right. So, can, can I, I mean, you quick, go ahead. Sorry, one, one quick question. You mentioned labs. Are there any other deficiencies in this pre-74 uh, apartment pool, such as asbestos or, um, you know, Kitech plumbing or code deficiencies, current sort of code deficiencies, and how are those addressed? Yeah, so, so, I mean, you're getting a great question. It really depends on the unit, but in most cases, the lead, so the, the, lead, the lead is the one we focus on because the lead law was passed in 2002. And so, you know, anyone who has moved into the apartment in the 90s, 80s, 70s, and moved out, like, they, they definitely have not done lead remediation. So you know that that's a cost that you're going to have to do. Um, you might have, if you rented the apartment out in the 90s, you might have removed the asbestos that was in the apartment from previous decades. Um, but yeah, if you get an apartment back that was that was occupied since the 70s or 80s, typically in the kitchens, especially, you'll find asbestos and you'll have to remove it. Um, plumbing upgrades, same thing. Electrical is another thing. Most of the uh, apartments uh, pre 
uh, 2000. You know, they, they need electrical upgrades. We just we use a lot more electricity now. We have appliances and cell phones and other things that we need to plug in. So a lot of the electrical needs to get upgraded as well. And this is kind of what we talk about. Like we get these when these apartments come back to the owner, um, the upgrades that they need to make typically lead them to basically gut renovating the whole apartment because it's the only efficient way to kind of the cost efficient way, but also most, you know, just practically efficient way to get it done. And what if they can't, what if they don't have the finances to do it? I mean, and that's, that's the, the reality in right now. A lot of people don't have the finances to do it. Um, plus the, the, they can't secure the financing because the rents are too low. So the units are sitting empty and that's there's no I'm... real pathway to get them back online. Yeah, I was just reading an article on that, and it was saying there was so many apartments that are rent-stabilized that are just vacant, that no one's in. And listen, if you were fortunate enough to get a rent-stabilized apartment, I mean, it's like gold. I mean, like, I know my sister has it since she got out of college, and she never left it because she she's paying like $1,000, and it's like 30 years she's been in it. So, um you now you you have something that you're fighting for, and it's called the vacant unit reform. Um, yeah, so, so that's what we were talking about. Yeah, so so we we worked with elected officials to kind of give them um, the information behind this. Um, there was a bill that was introduced at the end of last session uh, by Senator um, Leroy Comrie and Assemblyman Kenny Burgos. Um, they call it the uh, local regulated. Uh, housing restoration uh, adjustment. And, and basically it's, it's a process where an owner would have to make a unit lead free um, and then, uh, you know, make other upgrades that are necessary and then apply through the state agency to basically reset the rent to kind of what the market is. And therefore that would, that would, that would fund the renovation because now you would get an apartment back. You could rent out at market rate. Um, you know, it's, we, we've seen and we, we've talked to our members and we've kind of cataloged you know, there's there's thousands of vacant units in the Bronx and northern Manhattan, um, parts of Brooklyn, uh, you know, that 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 these are units where the market rate rents are basically the same as the voucher rents. Um, and so the lawmakers we talked to, we explained how, you know, this would be a great opportunity for owners to fix these units up and then also you can match voucher holders into these units as well so we've been working on them to try to craft that bill um not nothing got done in the state legislature on housing last year um or this past session so you know our kind of proposal fell to the wayside as well but our, we're optimistic that as housing becomes an issue that the, the government's going to take up we're going to be able to um you know insert this uh, an argument for fixing this problem into the conversation yeah. Now, just in case I I skip this, uh, Chip, which is you you represent the owners and operators of more than four hundred thousand rent stabilized apartments in New York City, and of course advocate for bedding housing policies. And by the way, it's a shame that so many are va- vacant because so many people. I mean, it's like a gift that you can get a rent stabilized apartment now. It's not that easy. So to have so many vacants. Is such a disservice to people that could really use that. Now you are also, I read, challenging the constitutionality of rent stabilization, the whole law. Can you talk about that a little bit? Of course. Um, so after the 2019 laws passed um, in July of 2019, we filed a, essentially a challenge of the rent stabilization law on, on a couple of main points. Um, the main the main argument we make is that. You know, requiring a lease renewal is a 
a per se physical taking, which is essentially the government, you know, it's the same as eminent domain. Once the government um, forces you to kind of do something with your property, they've taken your property. Um, so we want the Supreme Court to, to weigh in on that. The Supreme Court's never actually um, answered that question as it relates to uh, multifamily housing. Um, they've kind of skirted around it and let states dictate what the kind of what right run regulations they could do. Um, and, and never felt necessary to kind of weigh in on the on the constitutionality of that. So that's the, that's the kind of key argument that we're making. Um, we're making several other arguments that are kind of regulatory takings arguments, which basically means that the the gambit of regulation in New York State has made it kind of impossible for owners to operate their buildings. Um, you know, that's a little bit of a of a more difficult argument to make before the Supreme Court, but we felt that in New York State. Um, the kind of litany of regulations have reached a point where they're unconstitutional. Um, so that we filed that in, in July of 2019. Um, you know, we were dismissed in the Eastern District of New York, uh, which was not surprising because uh, previous, previous precedent in the Second Circuit had kind of suggested that they didn't want to take up um, a challenge to rent control on, on the lowest level of the federal court system. Um, so we appealed to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals they also dismissed the case, um, but in their dismissal, they, they specifically ignored a recent Supreme Court decision that, that dealt with property rights, and it's called Cedar Point Nursery versus Hasid. Um, in, in, in ignoring that decision and kind of dismissing that decision, the Second Circuit was able to kind of dismiss the case by saying, we don't really understand what the Supreme Court or how the Supreme Court wants to apply this recent decision they made to multifamily housing. So our appeal to the Supreme Court is really to get them to answer that question. How does how does what they've already said in Cedar Point Nursery apply to multifamily housing? And right now we are scheduled for the Supreme Court to consider that case in late September uh, to mid-October. Uh, September 26th is the first conference date. That's where they're going to first consider the case. Now, what this really means to a lot of people, and I, I just want to break this down to just kind of layman's, uh, is that... You know, the rents are, I, I think in the beginning of the show, um, I said the average rent in New York is $4,500 a month, which is the highest in the country. And um, I did have a guest on before you that talked about how you can share apartments and how people are trying to find roommates to share because they can't afford them. Um, if you are fortunate to get a rent-stabilized apartment, I mean, it's kind of like gold. And so now what this is really saying is there's a million, there's a lot of rent-stabilized buildings that are just sitting there that people, if, you know, would be able to have taken advantage of and rent them for some reasonable price, and that's not happening. So what do you think, how long do you, do you think there's an end to this? Do you think that, are you optimistic and that somehow that'll get resolved or... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a very difficult couple of years, obviously, um, the COVID um, was the center of attention for the elected officials. And, and you know, there wasn't really a sense that they were going to kind of look at the the problems of the restabilization law while COVID was happening. Now that we've kind of moved out of the COVID emergency era a little bit, there's been a lot of receptivity from the elected officials to, to take a look at this and, and try and fix this. So we're, we're hopeful that we'll be able to kind of work with them to come, to, come up with a solution um, next session. Um, and, and our lawsuit with the Supreme Court um, isn't going to change that. We're still- well, maybe when we end the commercial, you could just come back and give us 
a little tidbit if there's anything that anybody can do or write to or or just, you know, wait because it's really a shame that there's so many vacant rentals, rent stabilized buildings. We'll be right back. The 2-0 Orange faced their first road test of the season, heading to Purdue in prime time Saturday night. Orange pregame begins our broadcast Saturday at 6.30. Kickoff 7.30 on AM 970, The Answer. New York's home for Syracuse University football. Tune in at 6.30. This is an urgent announcement for anyone that's $10,000 or more in debt. Before you make another minimum payment, you need to know there are special programs that can completely free you of your debt. Total Financial Freedom can help you become debt-free in months instead of years. Resolve your credit card debt, signature loans, department store cards, internet loans, and timeshares. Call now at 800-533-6605 for a free consultation. For 16 years, Total Financial Freedom has helped thousands get out of debt. You can feel confident when calling because Total Financial Freedom is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and a Christian-owned company. Don't get stuck in the endless cycle of payments. You have the right to get your debt resolved and substantially reduce your monthly payments. Call Christian-owned Total Financial Freedom now at 800-533-6605. That's 800-533-6605. 800-533-6605. You have all helped support my pillow and their employees in these tough economic times. Mike Lindell knows this and continues to give back to listeners with deals on his most popular products. You've heard me recently speak about the My Slippers, Giza Sheets, My Pillow 2.0, and more. Great news! The My Pillow six-pack bath towel sets are back in stock. They are extremely absorbent, yet still provides that soft feel you look for in a towel. The set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. Regular price is seventy-nine ninety-eight for a limited time. You can get this six-pack towel set for only $39.99 with promo code JOEP. That's a 50% savings. Go to MyPillow.com. Call 800-651-0798. Use the promo code JOEP to save 50% on the MyPillow six-pack towel sets. I'm Ference Toth, host of the Your Personal Bank Show. I use common sense as an entrepreneur, financial literacy educator, and speaker to understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Grow your money safely, reduce taxes, increase returns, and create positive arbitrage with your personal bank. Tune in to the Your Personal Bank Show Saturdays at 4 p.m. or contact Ference at yourpersonalbank.com. The Your Personal Bank Show Saturdays at 4 p.m. AM 970, The Answer, doesn't have to stop when you turn off your radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Download the app. Just search AM 970, The Answer. Take us with you wherever you go. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and we were talking to Michael Gareth Johnson, who is the Communications Director for the Community Housing Improvement Program. And we're really talking about rent-stabilized apartments, which are apartments that are, you know, have rents that can't go, you know, that are set at certain amounts, and they can not go up much. And what's happened is the cost of keeping the buildings up and improving them has 
costs so much money that it's making it almost impossible for these rents, the owners, to keep these apartments because they can't keep them up. And there's so many of them vacant, and it's like a gift of gold if you can get a rent-stabilized apartment. So let me ask you before you go, is there anything that we can do or people can write to or... Can there, is there something that any you know anybody can do to write to? Or I mean, not? At, at this, yeah, at this point, I mean, we've we've started to build a coalition. We've talked to some labor unions. We've talked to the chambers of commerce. We've kind of built some support there. And I think coming into next session, because because the elected officials, the state legislature is not in session until January. Our hope is that starting in January, we'll start to to you know encourage people to um, contact their elected officials and. And tell them to fix this problem. Um, but yeah, if anyone wanted you know, to reach out there to their state elected officials, I think it would be important to do so and, and just let them know that you know this is a way to create you know thousands of units of housing um, in buildings that already exist, and that would be go a long way to helping people uh, find more affordable apartments. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, especially in homelessness. New- yeah, yep. especially in New York City, where apartments are so high. That, you know, it's just, it just seems like such a waste to have all these buildings and nobody can move into them because the owners can't afford to keep them up. So I would hope that you would be able to come back um, after your next session and give us an update on that. Yeah, of course. I'd be happy to come back. Um, you know, not much is going to happen until January, but once uh, the legislature's back in session in January, we're, we're optimistic there'll be some, some very, very rapid progress on this uh, topic. Uh, This is really an important subject, and I hope that after January you'll come back on the show and give us an update if there was any movement, and we're going to hope that there is. Uh, And, uh, you know, if you want to write to your congressman or your mayor or whatever, I think it would be good because it is a problem, and it would cut down on homelessness, and there's so many people that can't afford uh, to live in the city, and you just see vacant stuff. So... Uh, this is such an important topic. So it's been a pleasure, Michael, and I, 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 I look forward to hearing you, hearing your update in January on on, on what's going on. If there's any uh, movement, happy to come back. Thanks so much for having me, Donnie. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. You too. You know, Stephen, I didn't. I, I, you know, I had read. Uh, articles about uh, you know these so many vacant rent stabilized apartments i didn't know exactly what the cause was but now i i understand it i mean you can't own you know when somebody like i i when you have a rent stabilized apartment you cannot do anything to it you can't put in new appliances you can't so when the people move out if they've been there and people don't move out of them because they have a great deal so they usually stay in them for a long time so it would be really helpful if they were able to maybe subsidize or help these building the owners of the building because you know they have to make money too. Well, it, it, Donnie, it's it's both a huge, huge problem and and a great opportunity. I mean, with the you know with the short supply of housing and the high price of rental accommodations in New York, I mean, you're talking four hundred thousand units, and who knows how many are vacant. Um, you know, and, and some of these units may, you know, practically be unsafe as well. So, geez, it's, uh, it's you know, he's doing a great job. And, and, you know, I think he just needs to spread the word and hopefully gain more support. And, 
because it's going to probably open up tens of thousands of units that could come out even after improvements and allowing landlords to raise the rents a lot less than what the average rental price is in New York City. Yeah. So, you know, Stephen, I uh, was going to do a whole session on AI, but the way this worked out, I don't think I'm going to have the time to really get into it. So I just wanted to give you the current state of the market that we're in, and then I'd love to hear how that compares to Canada. Uh, But at the moment, sure. Can I just suggest something? We could do a little bit. I've got a brief sort of uh, presentation I can give on sort of artificial intelligence or AI light, at least to give our listeners a a feel of of what it's all about and what it means. And then we can maybe drill deeper at a future time, you know, at another show uh, to really get into it. But it's, it's, you know, I think we've got about 20 minutes left or or a little less and and we can at least give a presentation on, on what it means. Oh, sure. I mean, and just to start it out is, you know, AI is making machines act like humans. I mean, it's absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely. And the real estate industry is embracing the power of artificial intelligence. It holds implications for both residential real estate and commercial real estate. Let me just give you quickly you know, five examples of AI in real estate. I mean, number one is predictive analytics, right? There's so much data around the real estate marketplace, sale prices, asking prices, uh, neighborhood stats, schools, this, that, and the other. So, you know, number one, it's absolutely going to help in predicting things. Number Two, there's the ability to do a lot of modeling, 3D modeling. I mean, so, you know, it could eliminate the need to stage properties for sale where you can do it basically uh, through AI automated and you don't have to move out furniture, move in furniture, all the costs. You can show sort of um, through AI how it would look if it was, you know, decorated currently, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing the third major um, application is smart home devices, and we all know about that. You know that your whether it's your your phone or whatever, you know, your and security monitoring. It, it's it's just absolutely huge, huge um, application to that. The fourth sort of major one is property management. Um, absolutely a huge, huge. Uh, operational support for that, which is a lot of manual work previously. And the fifth one is mortgages, right? Um, so, I mean, there's basically companies like Rocket Mortgage are, are in fact, now, um, you know, able to approve uh, financing in seconds, right? Uh, you know, where True. It, it used to take used to take a long time. So, I don't think it's going to eliminate the human factor. Um, I would hope not. I mean, I think the real estate agents do a service and are, are still should be part of uh, the process and maybe more the, the conductors of all this stuff and, and, and employ in an open way AI, AI. I mean, if you know, in the U.S., Zillow is using AI for its estimates, right? And Which is a... And, well, let and, me... And, uh, let me just yeah. go back to how AI will transform the real estate market. First of all, you can have predictive maintenance. So with AI, you know, 
when you move into a house, um, hopefully you have an engineer's report, but costs get added up when something goes wrong at a property that you own. And sometimes it has mm-hmm. to be fixed immediately, and you know that could be a lot of money that you might not have. So with AI, they can predict maintenance and when it'll be needed in advance. So they're working on it where they could go into a property with AI and they can tell you. Uh, they can analyze sensor data from properties and they can estimate exactly when care might be required and even go ahead and schedule the work itself. But that that's really a big, big help for you to know what's going to go wrong in your house that you might not know from an engineer's report. And that's, would be tip, that's be useful for landlords and it also can help uh, tenants. And of course, as you said, with renting a property, um, you know, you have that now where you can program the heat to go off at a certain time or to come on at a certain time. Uh, The air conditioner, you can go off at a certain time and you can do many things to reduce all of, you know, your bills. I mean, I I think most of, a, a lot of the newer homes have that now. I know I have that. I can set my heat to go on at a certain time and it can go off at a certain time and when I'm not in the house at all it, it can just uh, stop everything so it's uh, it, it, they're using smart tech to, con- to control the thermostat remotely well you've got smart doorbells and smart locks and thermostats and cameras I mean you know the, the list of smart home devices is, is never ending yeah, they also have AI for market analysis, and there's ways to predict what property prices will do in a particular area. You can look at what right. businesses are moving in and out, so and that's helpful to know. You know, when you're looking in an area, you want to see that businesses are moving in, not that they're all moving out. Um, it can tell you about redevelopment plans and... Um, you can look at there's so much data. It can predict future market trends and potential investments. And so it can really help you find out about an area and know what's going to happen there. That might be a plus to buy something there or might be a negative. Um, well, I know and we're there's no way that, and, and Dottie, there's no way that human sort of human sort of factor can be as reliable in forecasting that AI can do. That's the huge, huge benefit. I know. And I just want to, after the break, just talk a little bit more about what it does in the real estate industry, because it's really, um, it really could be a lifesaver for people and really help them make the right investments. Um, There are also downsides, too, so I'll tell you about them when we come back from the break. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. I've been talking about the court reporting program at Plaza College for some time now. Well, Plaza College has been around since 1916, and not only do they have the School of Court Reporting, but they have four other schools of study, including their new School of Nursing. The Accelerated Bachelor of Science in Nursing program can be completed in just 16 months. And I'd like to offer congratulations to the first graduating cohort of nursing students. This first cohort began with 20 students, and 18 successfully completed the program. What an accomplishment. 
Plaza also has a dental hygiene program with a 20-chair community clinic. Students work on live patients under the supervision of a dentist. It's an incredible experience. For additional information regarding the programs I mentioned or Plaza's other areas of study, like their School of Business and Paralegal Studies or their School of Allied Health, email Info at plazacollege.edu. Info at plazacollege.edu. That's info at P-L-A-Z-A college.edu. Bay Ridge Honda is kicking off the fall season by saving you $1,500 when you turn in your trade or lease and purchase your next car with Bay Ridge Honda. They have been your family-owned and operated dealer for over 60 years. Your Honda dealer serving the five boroughs. Browse from over 200 new Honda vehicles and over 100 certified pre-owned vehicles backed by the Honda True Program at their 2022 President's Award-winning dealership. And right now, get 0% APR financing and zero down payment on select new 2023 Honda models all month long. Plus, you're going to receive $1,500 when you turn in your trade or lease when you purchase your next car with them. Even if you don't buy from Bay Ridge Honda, they will buy your car from you. So visit Bay Ridge Honda at 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Brooklyn or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. Available to qualified buyers. Additional fees may apply. See dealer for details. Ends 9-30-2023. Hi, this is Joan Herman, host of Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life. Every Sunday night, some of the world's most inspirational and influential people join me to discuss health and wellness, professional development, and personal well-being. They share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Take time for yourself. Tune into Conversations with Joan every Sunday night at 10 p.m. right here on AM 970 The Answer. If you miss a show, be sure to visit our website so you can listen on demand. And while you're there, read our digital magazine and take part in our book club. Visit CYACYL.com. That's CYACYL.com. The Arthur Idala Power Hour. Weeknights at 6 on AM 970. The answer. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and uh, we started to talk about AI, but I really have too much to really talk about to really get it all done today, so I'd rather. Uh, continue that next week because there's so much on AI and there's so much that you can learn and will help you in the real estate whether you're buying or selling whether you're thinking of moving into a new area so for the remainder I just want to give people uh, a little foresight to what the real estate market is doing right now and I think that people don't realize that buyers may have more power than they realize right now and here's why okay uh, there's no denying that the cost of buying a home pretty much in the United States has risen. But if you dig into the data, you'll find that many home buyers might actually be in the driver's seat right now. And if you ask me why, I'll tell you. In October, home prices continued to drop from the record high prices we saw in the summer, according to a recent report. Um, plus, the number of houses on the market is up nationally. Now, it depends on your area, because I know in the Northeast, they're really not up 33%, but that's a national number, so you'd have to know locally. But 
All this adds up to a power shift um, in real estate. A year ago, sellers were calling all the shots. If you go back to the pandemic, sellers were calling all the shots. They were only taking cash buyers. There was 30 bids on every house. Uh, people were waiving contingencies, and they were trying to pay all cash for homes. But now the shoe is on the other foot, and 92% of home sellers are accepting some buyer-friendly terms frequently related to home inspections because, really, it's a mistake. I know people did it, but it's really a mistake to skip the home inspection. You never know what's really going to find in a house. Um, so if you're currently in the market for a home, here are the biggest silver linings to consider today. Fewer showings mean less chaos and a saner approach to home buying. And there are fewer showings. This has been kind of an off year. You know, as I said before, when you put up an offer, or everything was, you know, they were bidding over the listing price. I mean, everyone was doing anything they can to get it. Um, the average home prices have fell, and so homeowners are now willing to talk, and you can get your terms in. Um, you can, you couldn't a year or so ago, you could not. If the asking price was 750000 you had to offer at least that if not more, people, many people to get the home bid over the asking price. Well, um, you don't really have to do that anymore. Um, the number of days on the market has risen to 51 days. So homeowners are willing to talk. I mean, they're not going to do something outrageous, but they'll, they'll, they'll be open to reductions and some concessions that will end up benefiting you. So you at least are able to have a conversation with the homeowner, which a year and a half ago... There was no conversation, you know. Uh, that's it. All cash or just go someplace else. Uh, so mortgage, and if, you, if you're worried about the mortgage rates, and I think I touched on it last week, you can always do a buy-down uh, because housing costs have shot up, and to combat the affordability issues, many home builders and sellers are offering mortgage rate buy-downs. Now, banks do that. But as a homeowner, I think I said at the beginning of the show, you can offer a buy-down. In other words, and you can instead of reducing a price, um, you can the homeowner can pay some amount of money up front where the homeowner will say, okay, I'll pay X amount of money, and it doesn't have to be a lot, to buy the rate down. Then for the next few years of repayment, that rate goes up until it hits the original rate. A seller can buy, for example, you know, a seller can buy down your 7% rate to 4% at the start of your payment period. And they can do that for maybe five years, three years, two years. But these are all creative ways to get your home sold. And I don't think enough people are taking advantage of it. Um, you know, and you, you can, you know, list prices are still up by 13%. Point thirteen percent, and again, that's national. Uh, but as I said, there's really room to negotiate, and there's a lot of people dropped out of the market. A lot of people said, "Oh, I can't qualify anymore because of the mortgage rates." And you really should speak to a mortgage professional before you just get out of the market, because there's a lot of creative financing that many people don't know about that you could do to get into a house at an earl at a lower rate. As I said, as a homeowner, if you put in a, a buy down, if you if you and it's not a lot of money to do that, uh, you could really set your house apart. 
Are you having the same issue? Do you have the same kind of things going on in Canada, Stephen? Dottie, those are all excellent points. We are experiencing more more of the same in Canada. It's a much more calm, normalized market, less less hysteria for sure. And I think someone who wants to buy now, um, you know, there's less pressure on being pushed sort of over the top. And um, it, it's just sort of a healthy, healthier set of circumstances. And, um, you know, I think uh, w- there's still a reasonable amount of transactions here. The prices haven't gone much higher than before. And we still face, you know, a lack of supply in certain neighborhoods and categories of homes. But generally speaking, you know, resale, the resale real estate brokerage market f- um, for used homes is uh it is 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 an easier you know easier space now to operate in and deal with and people are getting the opportunity to make offers conditional on home inspections and obtaining their financing and you know all those kinds of things and not have to you know be engaged in you know multiple bidding process i think in many respects in many respects even though the economy as a whole is is being challenged for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, the real estate brokerage uh, resale space is uh, settled down and is is more, um, you know, easy to uh, navigate. Yeah, it is, and it's really, I think, a good time to buy now because if you're waiting for interest rates to go down, let's assume that they did go down next year. Well, then what's going to happen to prices? They're going to go up. Okay, so, you know, um, you have an opportunity now to have some flexibility with a homeowner. Um, and, a, a, you know, a good thing to look at is you can ask your broker how long this property has been on the market. And if you see it's been on the market, like if it's one day, I doubt they'll be too flexible. But if it's been on the market about a month or so, um, you'll find that people are willing to negotiate, which was really impossible. During the pandemic, there were like 30 offers on one house. And so, you know, you couldn't, you really didn't stand the chance unless you came in with all cash. So I think it's really a good time to buy. I think you have to be patient. Um, I don't know about in Canada, but we're still tight on inventory in, in, in the New York area. It's loosened up a teeny bit, uh, but not exactly. I mean, and the prices are pretty much... You know, they might have gone up like 3%, but they really haven't gone up tremendously. I don't know about in Canada. You said that they haven't either. No, more more of the same here, too. It's, uh, you know, we're it's sort of the, you know, the North American market, albeit there's Canada and the USA, are, are very similar in the real estate space. Do you find that a lot of people are taking the opportunity or a lot of people just dropped out? A lot of people are sitting on the sidelines and for a variety of reasons, you know, um, a lot of people are facing, you know, there's still post pandemic uh, fallout where people are facing pressures that employers want them to come to work five days a week. I'm, I'm sure you're, you know, suffering some of that stuff in the United States. And so, you know, their focus is uh, kind of more on just getting, their life back in order and, and determining what, you know, how, how and where they want to work and what they want to do. And it's sort of a slow season too, because everyone, you know, everyone with kids, they're back to school, you know, September is 
is a, a month of a lot of change for families. And um, so it's been kind of, you know, it's really been a slow uh, September and August for us. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the month ends. And we're sort of the next Bank of Canada interest rate uh, announcement is in October. And there is some fear that they're going to raise the rate, the bank rate again, because inflation is not uh, going in the right direction to 2%, which is what the gover- governor of the Bank of Canada is, you know, wanting. So we'll, we'll wait and see. I mean, the, the last rate in- announcement was September 6th. It was, we kept it the same, but we got one, the next one's coming out October 26th and it's, it's probably more than 50-50. They're going to raise it another quarter of a point. And that's well, going to have, you know, some some effect. Well, but just let me tell you the positive side. You know, I'm just reading and it's like, you know, on housing. And it says, as temperatures begin to cool, the housing market continues, continues to fizzle with blistering high mortgage rates and scorching home prices, becoming too hot to handle for many would-be home buyers. Now, if I was a home buyer and I read this, I might say, you know what, forget it. I'll just wait. And what I'm telling you is don't forget it. If you're looking for a house and you need a home, don't listen to that, even though, because what they're not telling you is that if you get to a home and you find and you like it, first of all, there's a lot of creative financing that you can do, okay? And there's a lot of mortgages for people who don't have as much money. There's so much you can do. So this is like kind of discouraging you. I would say that my advice, if you're looking for a home, continue to look. If you find the home that you like, negotiate with the homeowner. But before you do any of that, go speak to your mortgage person and find out what kind of creative mortgages you can get. I know I took an arm out and refinanced when it was 15%. There's a lot of ways. I wouldn't say to get forced out of the market because when interest rates do go down, prices surely will go up. That's my advice. And Stephen, come back soon. Okay, it's always a pleasure. I'd love to see you soon too. Have a great weekend, everybody. And I guess we're feeling a little bit of fall now. Be back. The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.